Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. and welcome to our deep sea domain this is under consultation an episode by episode podcast type situation through the uk's greatest video game challenge tv show games master i am one of your hosts luke owen and i'm throwing out throws like sliced bread and i can't be named for legal reasons this episode aired on the 12th of December 1996, FIFA 97 tops the video game charts, Peter Andre tops the pops with I Feel You, we've got a new number one at the top of the UK box office, put those cookies down, it's Jingle all the way. Every holiday season, there's one toy everyone has to have. I want the Turbo Man action figure with the arms and legs that move, and the Walking Roar jetpack, and the Boomerang shooter. Getting it is every child's dream. Whoever doesn't can be a real loser. Finding it. You got the doll, right? Is this father's nightmare. I'll get that toy. I promise. Whoa! Nothing like waiting till the last minute, I would say. Especially on Christmas Eve. Christmas spirit. The last one just left. Now, it's two fathers. This is one mission. Oh, baby. <laughs> and every man for himself. I'm thinking maybe, you know, we could join him as a team. You know, like, like Starskin Huts. We're late delivery of Turbo Man at Toy Wars. Let's go. Is there a problem, officer? You can never do too much to make a child's Christmas magical. Hey, buddy. Ah, yes, here we are, Arnold in the middle of his family-friendly run. It started with the more PG-13 Arnold of Terminator 2. Now we're kind of 
We were post-kindergarten cop, I guess. We are post that. We're post sort of junior and sort of that era. Like we are in a period twins. of... Twins, exactly. Yeah, we're in that period of Arnie where he's trying to not just be 80s action man Arnold Schwarzenegger and in this case is family man Arnold Schwarzenegger. Even though it's like, it's been, you know, one of my favorite things about the review that how did this get made uh, did of this movie. It's like they never addressed that he's a big muscle man. He's an 80s action hero, but he's doing like regular just Joe Schmo things. But he still looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and no one ever addresses the fact that he's got this crazy Austrian accent either. I mean, as regards the muscular stature, he's a mattress salesman, Luke. Mattresses are heavy. That's exactly it. There's one line of dialogue from Phil Hartman in this movie where he says, you can't bench press your way out of this one, which is such a weird out of context line and sort of makes no sense within any of the movie because like he's never been a bench pressing guy up until that point. And the only reason that line is said is because he's a big muscle man. If they just had like a gym, a home gym, or like a weight set in the garage, it's like, oh, okay, he sells mattresses. He's kind of a fitness nut, something like that. I actually would have preferred it if they'd flipped the careers. So Simbad's character was the mattress salesman and Arnold was the postal worker because Arnold, in that little postman's uniform, with those shorts that they Little wear as shorts. well. Yeah. <laughs> if you had to bend over, they would just be the running gag of the shorts just ripping up the side as the seams give out on his fucking thighs. Look, I am a Jingle All The Way apologist. I love this movie. Uh, this is one of those ones that I will watch every single year come Christmas. I, I There's a lot of it that I really, really like. I love its sort of... It, I, I'd like to say it's commentary on the Christmas rush and, and capitalism and stuff, because that's all this movie is born out of, was, you know, writers seeing the, the rush for Power Rangers and Buzz Lightyear, Cabbage Patch Kids, all that sort of stuff. It doesn't really make commentary on it. It's just, hey, this is a thing that happens, right? But I love the the, the cast in this, Schwarzenegger, Sinbad, Phil Hartman, Rita Wilson. I, I love a, a young Anakin Skywalker is in the movie doing a terrible performance. But it is just a quite a nice little Christmas movie. The Big Show is in this movie. It's a fun little shit movie. Oh, God, he plays an elf, doesn't he? He's he's the big massive Santa that punches yes. him. Yes, that's it. I find it kind of funny that it's a movie about the commercialization of Christmas. It's satire. It's all about finding this killer toy, this Turbo Man, which, spoilers, was the only piece Turbo of merchandise. Man. It was the only piece of merchandise produced for the film, and you can still get them today. They brought them back. It's Turbo Time. I've got to get the Turbo Man doll. So that's basically the, his only line in the movie is just saying that over and over again. Because he's just got the string on his back and just any time it's, <laughs> it's like, like, action, <laughs> pull the string. That Woody from Toy Story. Oh, dearie me. Because this always happens. Basically, you know, these, these like speaker box things you used to get sort of like 15 years ago. It's like a Mr. T one. Like, I'm yeah. pity the fool. It's basically that. It's just him on set. Right, saying all of his favorite, hasta la vista. Just all of his catchphrases. Get your ass to Mars. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's turbo time. Right, we found the right one. Action. But it was that satire on the commercialization of Christmas, which then kind of created its own little, I guess, whirlwind. Not at the time of release, but afterwards when they redid the Turbo Man doll because collectors were clamoring for them and they were again in short supply. And it's just like, ooh, life imitating art. But they knew this was going to happen. 
Apparently, it was originally a lot more of a softball, and it was only when Chris Columbus like kind of got the script, and he's like, "Now we're going to be way more vicious than this. We're going to like put in a lot more satire." I don't think a lot of the satire really lands, though. Like, there, you know, it's it's just sort of comedy japes of parents going a bit mad to try and get these toys. But like, really, like when you go back and watch the movie, there's I think two scenes of him, like extended scenes of him in a shopping mall with lots of people trying to get the Turbo Man doll, like him and Sinbad, like waiting outside. And then there's one later on where you have to get the one ball. But then that is just him chasing around a child trying to get that ball back. There's so much more of it that's like just uh, him on his own imagining what his kid is going to be like because he had a terrible Christmas. Now, this film did quite well at the box office, 129 million worldwide. It was the last film featuring Phil Hartman, as you mentioned him earlier. However, some 17 years later, there was a sequel starring the man you get to star in sequels that are coming way past their time. One Larry the Cable Guy, who seems to get a rap for filling in for muscular people. Lo and behold, jingle all the way too. No, Arnold, Larry the Cable Guy. The Tooth Fairy too, Larry the Cable Guy. There is a man that knows his worth and his worth is, I will do this for a paycheck. The remarkable thing for me with Jingle All The Way 2 is, it's a WWE movie. And they got Larry the Cable Guy. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't have one of your own your own wrestlers be the star. None of them can act. So instead you go to the guy who can act, Larry the Cable Guy. There is a sentence I have never heard anyone say. A guy who can act, Larry the Cable Guy. Although in fairness, I mean, that Larry the Cable Guy character is not the real person. So yes, he can act. He has a limited range, much in the same way that Arnold has a limited range i think larry the cable guy's voice box is a little bit more limited he's got get a dun exactly yeah he's got three phrases as opposed to arnold seven less points of articulation on the action figure as well just less points in general uh the main reason that arnold was in this film is because the fox remake of planet of the apes was delayed i'm so sad we never got that arnold schwarzenegger planet of the apes movie out of particularly because you know they would have had him do all the Charlton Heston lines. Get those hands off me, you damn dirty ape. They'd have had all of that nonsense in there. You maniacs, you blew it all up, didn't you? They'd have had all of that, and it would have been gloriously terrible. Dude, how have we not had more of your Arnold <laughs> impression on this podcast? Because it's great. We haven't had enough Arnie at the top of the box office. He's always in those summer months. He's never in the Christmas periods. UCP Live 2, we're going to have to find a way to involve more Arnold <laughs> just so we get some live Arnold impressions. I would have loved to have seen the original casting for kind of Arnold's nemesis in this because Sinbad got the role. It was a piece of casting, but originally designed by Chris Columbus was Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci would have been superb in this role as well. Like, because they, they want, like, you know, they got Sinbad because he's, you know, the little and large aspect between him and Arnold. But really, like, anyone against Arnold is that little and large thing. But Joe Pesci's like the ideal little and large compa- like companion that's not Danny DeVito. Especially because Joe Pesci is like the angry little dog. He's like, oh, he's tiny. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, this is our last movie, last feature film for Phil Hartman. Uh, it's a tragic old story. Like, it always bums me out as well to get to talk about to Phil Hartman because, you know, a lot of people will know him from The Simpsons as the voice of Troy McClure. And it's it sucks, really. Like, he was a guy that was shot dead by his own wife. And mm. it really, really sucks because we could have had so many more years of Phil. 
doing because he's great in this movie he's so good as this wormy slimy neighbor that's trying to get his way into uh rita wilson's uh, knickers and he's just brilliant as this like dickhead neighbor the scene with him be like oh these cookies they're so good put that cookie down i'd have loved him to have been the foil the sinbad foil for uh for arnold in this movie just because we would have had more phil hartman in the film Technically, this was his la- one of his last film roles. Like, I think it was one of the last ones filmed. But we still had Small Soldiers to come in 1998. Oh, yeah, we've got Small Soldiers, haven't we? Yeah. I love Small Soldiers. Great film. I did see a note that Sinbad, despite getting cast in the role instead of Joe Pesci, biffed his audition multiple times, still got the role, but improvised a lot of his lines on set. And in response, so did Arnold. And I'm just thinking... Christ, Arnold Schwarzenegger improvising. That's why he only has three lines. You can tell in Sinbad's performance that it's a lot of it is improv as well, because it's just Sinbad doing his Sinbad comedy. I suppose really the most notable thing about Jingle All The Way, and, I, and I, I've really loved this story uh, around the movie as well. I, I once wrote a massive article about this uh, for an old website. The, the lawsuits that happened around it because there was a guy uh, sort of a high school teacher who'd written a script called Could This Be Christmas which was then purchased by a publishing company and they sent it to studio. The studio guy that was working there reportedly according to a lot of these lawsuits read that script you know because that's what his job as a script reader and then he wrote his own script called Jingle All The Way that coincidentally had so many similarities to Could This Be Christmas and he then handed that off, and that was this guy who is the, the writer of this movie. Went to court and everything, and in the end, it was decided that, yes, you stole this movie from this publishing company, and you've got to pay these damages. In the end, that was repealed uh, by the, the studio, and it actually wasn't stolen, and Randy Cornfield's screenplay was actually all of his own idea, and he couldn't have written this before he or anyone else at Fox read the script for Could This Be Christmas? So there's this huge like lawsuits and stuff around this, and sort of like a did they, didn't they steal this movie from this high school teacher? Apparently his script as well was way more vicious about sort of the commercialization of Christmas. Things like this happen a lot. Sometimes it's very obvious that things have stolen, other times it really can just be one of those most amazing of cosmic coincidences. And it is not beyond the realm of possibility that if one person was being inspired by the Cabbage Patch craze, or as I believe was the example given on this one, it was Power Rangers. Yeah, Power Rangers, the, the couple of years previous to this, uh, you know, you've mentioned earlier, like, this film went into production in April. Like it was Toy Story as well, like, the, the rush on Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, that was the one Chris Columbus experienced. He said himself that, he, you know, he didn't get the Power Rangers thing, he didn't get the Cabbage Patch thing, but he got the Toy Story thing. If you are a creative writer and you are looking for an outlet, you are going to be watching the news. You're going to be watching what's going on in the world. And therefore, pulling from the same idea, very, very possible. You'd really have to drill down into character notes, specific set pieces, things like that to go, this is a ripoff. So I'm not entirely surprised it got overturned. I, I'm not either, and I think the only reason that they really pursued this outside of the similarities between the two scripts is that Randy Cornfield, the writer of Jingle All The Way, this is his first like fully commissioned script for Fox. And his job before that, before he got this script commissioned, was a script reader for Fox. And that's kind of where sort of like the, the, the line of just like, huh, 
sort of comes into play. You're right, like it's the more likely scenario is two people got influenced by the exact same craze because it was a craze that everyone was aware of and wrote two scripts that, because they're influenced by the same thing, have a lot of similarities. But then the sort of the coincidence that he also happened to be a script reader before that and they had sent the script to Fox, that's where it sort of becomes a, uh, hmm. And I suppose, really, we'll never know the truth of the situation. All that we do know is that a judge decided that Fox were guilty, then after the appeal decided they weren't that guilty, they only had to pay damages. Weirdly, I don't think it's something that would even be up for debate nowadays because everything digital, there's an electronic paper trail. Parlor scripts, you can't really control who in a department's picking those up and flicking through them. But when it's a digital file, there are audit trails. So I don't think this would happen quite so much nowadays. There are still various people that say my idea was stolen, my script was stolen, this, that and the other. But as long as it's taken a digital route, it's actually a lot easier to prove it. Mm-hmm. It's peeing about the curtain on this somewhat. I accidentally got some of my notes wrong on this, and I had the wrong number one uh, at the top of the box office, and Ash corrected me as we were recording this. And then I literally just forgot again that we had this number one. I was about to jump into the TV news. But yeah, I suppose we could talk about Peter Andre. This is honestly a song. I reckon if I listen to it, I might remember it, but just reading it off the bat, I do not remember this song whatsoever. I listened to it. I went and I looked it up because I'm like, I I don't remember this song. I mean, I remember the song that you mistakenly brought forward a couple of weeks. After listening to it, I'm just like, nope, no, I would not get this on a hurdle challenge. This is not a song that I recognise. It was co-written with the same guy that co-wrote Mysterious Girl. It was the sixth single from his second studio album. Six singles from the same album. There is a guy that is putting everything on the album out there as a single to the point where... Is there even a point buying the album at the end of this? When one of those songs is a massive hit, I guess the studio is just like, just release as many of it as can. We have got a very short shelf life with this, lads. Let's make as much money off it as possible. I mean, especially if people are gunning for him because like the uh, the Virtua Cop challenge. Lad looked like Peter Andre. I was thinking about this just this morning because uh, I, I came into my office this morning and there's an Alexa in the uh, kitchen area, like the shared kitchen area. And you can go in there and just sort of request things and stuff. But the sign on there that gives you the instruction of how to use the Alexa at the bottom says specifically no Justin Bieber allowed. And I looked at it, I was like, if this was 1996, that would have been specifically no Peter Andre allowed. I, uh, I just went and listened to that Peter Andre track and bloody hell, it is unremarkable. It really is a forgettable little track. The Music Week review. Radio will love it, as will his team fans. Adult Soul fans may come on board too. Probably not. No. Uh, Looking at the TV news, and this is a big one for me, December 6th, one of my favourite TV shows of all time, debuts on Channel 4, The Adam and Joe Show. Hello, we are at the Manjo. Mm-hmm. A couple of tits with the TV show. Thank you very much. It might look a little crappy because we make it ourselves. It is homemade. Homemade. No one's lehigh at the cardboard of man. Nice. Homemade. Homemade. Thanks a lot for switching on your television. Warning. The Adam and Joe Show is a high-density program. Start taping now. It sparks my big love. 
for the careers of Adam Buxton and Joe Cornish. Joe Cornish, of course, has gone on to very, very big and successful things. Director of Attack the Block, uh, a writer on the Tintin movie, has done a lot of work with Spielberg. Him and Joe Cornish were writing the script for Ant-Man that uh, Edgar Wright was going to direct. But in the end, it when you know when the MCU kind of really kicked off that they're still credited, I think, as stories. I think Edgar and, and Joe are still credited for story writing, story credit on that. Uh, Adam Buxton, I'm a huge, huge fan of Buxton. I've been to see him live a few times because he does this uh, a show called Bug, where he just shows experimental or really cool music videos that people might not have heard of or might not have seen. Uh, I've seen him do that live like five, six times now. And I've seen him do it at Reading Festival as well. Really, really big fan of, of Buxton. Love his podcast as well. And particularly love the Christmas episode where Buxton and Cornish get back together again. Aww. And just like just to have a little chat. And it is just like the old times. Uh, I used to love, love, love the Adam and Joe uh, show on six music that they did for a handful of years. Really, really funny stuff. And there's, my brother and I were kind of obsessed with it and the, the podcast version. And still to this day, we'll quote stuff back and forth to each other. There are songs featured in Song Wars from that Adam and Joe show that... If I sing a line of now, I know that my co-host on my other podcast will sing the following line too. And there are other people in the office that also know those songs. If you sing like Cornish's version of Quantum of Solace, they'll know what you're doing. The thingy of something of Boris. I forgot what it's called. I feel somewhat out of the loop on this one because I remember the Adam and Joe show. I have followed their careers in various points i'm particularly a fan of attack the block and a lot of the directorial efforts and stuff like that i was incredibly sad about what happened with ant-man i can't actually remember much all of the adam and joe show and i think it's fair to say that's not down to them there's a lot of tv shows at this time i know i watched that i just can't remember a lot of it's actually a real blind spot like watching a lot of this games master i know i watched this i will get little flashes in my head when we're going through the stuff and i'll go oh yeah i remember that but the adam and joe show no it's completely gone it's odd as well because it's never really like readily available either like they never did a full dvd release of it i think think it's on all four but there's part of me that thinks that it isn't all like on all four or if it is it's not in its complete form and i don't know whether that's just down because a lot of it was movie parodies or what have you because like it was a, a show of three basic ideas of sketches that adam and joe did the star wars series that they had which was the kenner figures but with mouths um inserted over the top of them doing impressions and doing voice and things like that and the stuffed animal movie remakes like yeah, they did American Butoy and things like that. The American Butoy one is, is, is one of my all-time favorites. I want to see the most beautiful thing I ever filmed. I saw this plastic bag dancing in the wind. Hey, come on, come on, dance. Don't be shy. Come on, come on, you bastard. And I realized there's so much beauty in the world. I felt like my heart was going to cave in. Oh, my God, that's so beautiful. Can I kiss you? Um, sorry, the bag's here and we've got plans. Yeah, keep your hands off him, you piece of trash. And Saving Private Lion, which is a stuffed lion figure in the role of Ryan. And that was basically just what the Adam and Joe show was. And it was those puppets and, like, stuffed animal movie parodies, the things that I really, really loved about the original show. I can tell you, it is on all four, mostly complete. Uh, yeah, there you go, yeah. Yeah, like, series one is there complete, because it's only four episodes, but series two, three, and four are meant to be six episodes, 
and I think it's a four, six, and five arrangement. So there are episodes that I'm guessing they could not get clearance on. It's an issue. Let's be honest. It's the reason why we part of the reason we don't have a complete set of games master up on four on demand. It's all licensing and copyright and uh, making sure it passes muster with lawyers because I'm sure there would be some stuff in those shows that they're just like, yeah, we, we can't get this out. Uh, the Paul Merton, the series, is the same. That has actually been quite edited and a number of episodes are completely missing and a lot of it's down to either legal reasons, clearance of music, or in some cases, if we put this out there today, someone is going to sue us. Yeah, there must be some legal complications over the whole thing. If, I mean, I'd also recommend if people want to uh, hear kind of the duo talk about it, Richard Herring did an interview with them on Rehearsal of Her last year to celebrate the uh, the 25th anniversary of the show going out. So go and listen to that. Big, big fan of Adam and Joe. And this series was like my big introduction loved them ever since but lastly in the tv news i thought this of all shows this is the show that will appreciate this the most december 12th the same day that this episode aired the popular game show strike it lucky returns under the new name of strike it rich on itv and like its predecessor presented by michael barrymore right we need to change your name <laughs> exactly if only my name was richard like we would have been right there boy hold that paper up higher Get that floor clean. I want to see my face in those shoes. And if I see one bit of fluff on that jacket, you're never going to see your mum and dad again, you little... What? Oh! Good evening. Welcome to uh, Games Master. Um, kids, <laughs> don't you just love them? Always insisting that they, they lend a hand. Look, it's for the last time, you don't have to help. Sit down. It's a bit of a first for our introduction here because it doesn't involve the mermaids. It doesn't involve the mermaids doing the punchlines. Instead, the punchline is Dom doesn't realise that this show is broadcast live. And I'm doing big Bucky O'Hare ears for our podcast listeners uh, as he is shouting at children for not doing their jobs properly. He's shouting at urchins, Luke. He addresses them as such multiple times throughout the show, which I put it to you. As we are in Atlantis, does this make them sea urchins? See, yeah, like one of them is cleaning his shoes, one of them is holding the paper up so he can read it, one is like defluffing his suit, um, and the other one is cleaning the floor around him. That poor child's got the probably the worst job of the lot, really. I do love how he's like getting very, very angry, shouting at them, and just like going, "You're doing a terrible job!" Blah, 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 blah. And the kids are just laughing. The kids are having a whale of a time. Terrible actors, these lots. Terrible actors breaking the fourth wall in all sorts of scenarios. Breaking character. They never should have broken into this business. They're killing the business, Luke. They're they are killing, killing the, the business. business. Terrible performance. It's like Anakin Skywalker levels are bad. But the worst is the kid holding up the newspaper because this kid cannot hold up a newspaper, <laughs> which is even more hilarious because then Dom gets his fake voice in the air going, oh, you're on air. And he's like, oh, oh, look at these little scamps. They're always trying to help out. Sit down, sit down. And the kid holding the newspaper sits down, still holding the newspaper up. <laughs> he's just like, I've been told to hold the newspaper up. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to keep doing it. And these little urchins are not just here for a gag. There are challenges for today. We've got children playing this game, but what are they playing, Games Master? <laughs> It's been a long time since I was a kid. I'm afraid to say I had a rather unhappy childhood. But things have changed since then, and kids these days have plenty of one-on-one beat-em-up action to relieve their infant anxiety. I decided to celebrate this happy state of affairs 
by holding an event on Virtua Fighter Kids on the Sega Saturn, involving four pint-sized pugilists. Let the kiddie combat commence. What a weird, melancholy note from Games Master. I didn't have a happy childhood. Not that I can remember it. I'm old. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to decide, is this... Games Master, or is this Patrick Moore himself just being like, here, we've got some kids being there, just like, just off the cuff, being like, I had quite an unhappy childhood, can't remember much of it. Anyway, Virtual Fighter Kids. It's post-lunch, he's a bit melancholy on the booze. That's it, yeah, but we are here to play Virtua Fighter Kids because we have got these kids in kiddie combat. Uh, so this is the Saturn version of the game, I believe, that's got some... It, it sort of made it a bit easier for the, the home release, and you can do, like, programmable button sequences and stuff to allow players to test out pre-made combos and things like that. So it's, like, a bit more of a accessible version of Virtua Fighter. The addition of FMVs, that makes sense. It was a CD-ROM game. It was the style at the time... The programmable button sequences does make me rethink some of my thoughts on this challenge because I sent a note to you, I think it was while I was making notes on this, going, man, these kids' fighting game technique is better than some of the grown adults we have had in earlier series. I'm looking at you, gladiators. But I'm now going, were they using kind of basically macro-recorded moves and combos? I don't think they were because they weren't that good. And they're not really doing many combos either. They're just doing moves. Like, you know, they'll do sort of like the throw move or things like that, as opposed to doing like punch, punch, kick, throw move into something else. So like, it, I don't know if it is that. I mean, like these kids, bloody hell, you want to talk about button mashing. That is what these kids are doing. When it cuts back to them, I'm amazed those sat controls are still working by the end of it. You can actually hear the noise on the controllers when they cut to them. It's quite impressive, but... Virtual Fighter Kids, in addition to the FMV and the, uh, the the macros, it's a weird little beast of a game. It, it feels like, and this is kind of what the reviews at the time said as well, when I was going through the Wikipedia page for this, which is that like it would have been a fine little bonus edition in Virtual Fighter 2 or Virtual Fighter 3, like as a fun add-on. Yeah, we got the review of NBA Jam later on, where it's got like loads of unlockable stuff in there. Had this been an unlockable mode, I think people might have been more kindly like look towards it but as a full release it doesn't really have much of a purpose despite being called virtua fighter kids like the characters some of them just look like small versions of their adult selves including muscles and beards and yeah to be blunt breasts what it's more like is less child more chibi it's more that super deformed thing like um puzzle fighter the Capcom one. It's where they are still clearly themselves, but just super deformed. Like, this isn't Muppet Babies. This isn't like, you know, a, a pup named Scooby-Doo. This is just literally, we have taken the characters, squashed them down, made them cuter. Uh, but I guess, like, calling it Virtual Fighter Chibi probably wouldn't have translated as well uh, to a Western audience. This is like, if you just call it Virtual Fighter Kids, it sort of does exactly what it says on the tin, and, and anyone can understand that. This was kind of a one-and-done game. There was never really a sequel. The character designs did pick up in a couple of other things. They were in kind of one of those portrait titles that seemed very popular in Japan. Also, they featured in a game where you're most often looking for sailors. They were in Shenmue. And I, it's a weird time for Sega because you've got this, you've got Sonic Fighters, and you've got a game we will talk about in the news where it's not that they're floundering. It's just they are clearly looking for something. They're looking for their next Sonic. Yeah, or they're just trying to look for something that will catch catch the imagination. 
maybe more specifically catch the imagination of the Western world, because in Japan, they're still doing pretty good. We talked about Nights the other week and Nights getting a Christmas special, and the majority of that being for the Japanese audience that were really supporting the Saturn and had bought Nights in its droves. But to the Western world, there was still something quite missing. And I'm wondering if what we're seeing here is kind of a mixture of giving back to the Japanese audiences that are buying the games, but also trying to find something that they can use in the war. They are, to be blunt, losing horrendously at this point. Here are the four urchins that, uh, whose company we have the pleasure of today. We have Michael, Alex, Jim, Bob and Christopher. Michael, first of all, now, you're a very kind, a very generous soul. You once uh, helped out your auntie's pony. Didn't you? What, what was the score with the pony? Well, it didn't Well, It was very ill and after a while it it, it had to be put down because it because it um, it wouldn't last it much longer anyway. Right, so you helped it. Yeah. And then it died. Yeah. It, it happens, uh, but it was a good attempt, a valiant attempt, Michael. Um, right, Alex, it's going to you, Man United fan. Your favourite player is Karl Poborski. Why do you like Karl Poborski? Because he's fast. Right. Good hair. Do you like his hair? Mm, not really. No, it's a bit long, a bit lank, a bit greasy. Okay, Jim Bob. Now you like uh, the Power Rangers. Who's your favourite Power Ranger? Um, White Ranger. Why? Because he's cool. Because he's cool? Right, why is he cool? It's just one of those indefinable things, coolness, isn't it? And finally, Christopher. Uh, it's funny, you reckon you're the coolest person in the world, don't you? Yeah, because I'm good, I'm good and especially good at um, racing ones. Right, you're the coolest because you're good at games. It's funny because there was an article in the Face magazine saying the same thing about you there. So we have our four children here. Uh, I can summarise them with sort of nicknames. You've got Michael, the pony killer. You have got Alex, the United fan. You have got Jim Bob, the Power Rangers fan. And you've got Christopher, the cool one. I like how Jim Bob is definitely called James, but they've just decided to call him Jim Bob. I've written when I say it can't be his real name, surely. Because there's a moment later on when I think Derek calls him James and Tom corrects me like, no, it's Jim Bob. No, that's what we're calling him. We're calling him Jim Bob now. Jim Bob. It may be Chuckle. It's very juvenile. The Michael talking about his auntie's pony thing, it's not quite as awkward as Dog Killer from the other week, but it's going somewhere, then it goes nowhere, and Dom is just left to go, well, that happened. Yeah, it, it feels like when they were, you know, doing the pre-interviews and stuff for them, sitting the kids down, it's like, tell me an interesting th- a fact about yourself, because Dominic will ask you about this. It probably happened to him very recently. It's like, I once helped out my auntie's pony. What happened then? Pony had to be put down. And a big light bulb across their head would be like, oh, that'll be fucking funny on television. Let's definitely get Dom to ask about the pony. Alex is the smartest because he's like, he rolls with Dom's punches and he's just like, oh, my favourite players, Karl Poboski. And Tim and Dom are like, yeah, but we don't like his hair, do we? No, we don't like his hair. Also, no one's favourite player for Man United at that time was Karol Poborski. Bless the kid's heart. Like, I mean, I guess this does very much land as when this series was filmed, because he'd only signed for United in July. So we were trying to work out, or at least I was trying to work out a couple of weeks ago, which Beckham chip they were alluding to. We must be around, they must have filmed it in August around this sort of period of time. But unfortunately, David Beckham killed the career of poor uh, Poborski because he was no longer the big shining star that they were going to pin all their midfield hopes on. Instead, that became David Beckham in his wonderful curtains. Killed him like an auntie's pony. Jim Bob here is correct, though, because the best Power Ranger is the White Ranger. Why? 
because he's cool. Like there's no there's no other reason for it. It was the Green Ranger because he was the cool one, and then because he became the White Ranger, all of a sudden the White Ranger is now the cool one. He had a tiger on his helmet, and his costume just looked kind of cooler he all was the new. way through. He was the new one. He was the new shiny Buzz Lightyear toy of the group. He was way the coolest. All the way through, Tommy is the coolest ranger. He's the one that's come back the most often, as far as I know, and is still regarded now as the cool one. Well, but is he as cool as Christopher? That's the real question, because Christopher's dead good at racing games. Unfortunately, this is a beat-em-up, and I'm actually a bit <laughs> disappointed that Dom didn't go. Well, this is a fighting game, so you're piss out of luck. After Virtual Fighter 1, 2, 3 Remix and Kids, Sega have come up with a new spin on their favourite money-making clan. Fighters Mega Mix, which sounds like a dodgy Christmas album, is out in February on the Saturn, featuring the Virtual Fighter characters against Raxel and Co. from Sega's other beat-em-up hit, Fighting Vipers. All the characters have been given new moves, but nothing's been done about their cack hair. Maybe he would have fared better on Fighters Mega Mix because, get out of this, Super Smash Brothers, Sega did it first. Because like Dom here talks about like it's Virtua Fighter versus Fighting Vipers, but it's it's way more than that. This has got Janet from Virtua Cop. This has got Bark and Bean from Sonic the Fighters. This has got a couple of the characters from Virtua Fighter Kids. This has got Ash, a fucking car, as one of the fighters. Yep, the Hornet car from Daytona, USA. Love that that image. Like if you go and just search for it as a screenshot. It's a bizarre little visual because you might just have like, you know, a character from Virtual Fighter fighting a car that's on its back wheel standing up. This game was a bit of a... A dog's... It was it was all because you had characters from different fighting games and different fighting styles meeting up, which, you know, is not unusual. We've got King of Fighters that does that. Obviously, as you mentioned, we've got Smash Brothers, which isn't actually that far into the future. Capcom have done it numerous times, X-Men versus Street Fighter. Way down the line, we get Street Fighter versus Tekken. This game is just weird for 1996. Like, it's beyond Virtua Fighter Kids weird, because Virtua Fighter Kids, you know, you just had Dural with a goldfish in their head. That was pretty weird. This has a car, and Janet from Virtua Cop 2, who you would assume would just win everyone, because Janet's got a gun. And not only that, it's got that wonderful Sagan-ness to it as well, because one of the unlockable characters in this is the AM2 logo. The literal, the, the palm tree logo is one of the playable characters, the one unlockable character within this. A bit like, you know, Tony Hawk with like the Neversoft Eye was an unlockable character in Tony Hawk 3. I love shit like that because it's mad. It's nonsense. There's a fucking car in this game. It's a fighting game, and I love it for it. It's it's a bizarre little title, but I have got so much time for bizarre little fighters like this or bizarre little inclusions in this. You know, there's a character in this, an unlockable, called Mr. Meat. How do you unlock Mr. Meat? You boot the game up 30 times, and then you can unlock this character. Brilliant. Love stupid crap like that. That's the kind of unlockables you get nowadays in weird indie games, you know, or the weird achievements you get, which is just like, oh, you quit without saving 45 times or something along those lines that you'll get a little pink achievement unlocked on the PS4 or the Xbox. This game did serve a purpose other than kind of being fan service in that the Virtua Fighter characters that appeared in this had some of their moveset from Virtua Fighters 3, which at this point was still planned for release on the Saturn. It hadn't been quite abandoned yet. So this was a bit of a gateway drug to that series. And we talked about Christmas Nights. This had a similar kind of origin. 
which was AM2 said, well, towards the end of the year, we always think about having a festive game for all the users who support the Sega Saturn. Honestly, reading these statements like this one for Fighters Megamix and the statement about Christmas nights, it is almost like Sega had a Patreon. A little bit, yeah. And the game wasn't even announced until less than two months before it was released. They just kept beavering away on it in the background and then beginning of November, boom, we've got this new fighting game coming out. You can be a car. You can be a car. You can be a palm tree. You can be a literal hunk of meat with some arms and legs on it. Delightful shit. There was never an arcade release for this, but Luke, guess what? Is there a shitty little handheld it was released on? There was a 1998 adaptation for thegame.com, which was released by Tiger Electronics. The Gamecom, man. Like, what a little bit of software that is. A, a brilliantly shite little bit of software. Also has a terrible Sonic game, does the Gamecom. I love the, you know, of all the ports of things that the Gamecom got, one of them is Fighters Megamix. That's amazing. Like, that's the that's the way I want to play this game. In as crap a way as possible. I want to play it, in it as it was truly intended on the Gamecom. I can't believe we've now had the opportunity to mention both the Gamecom and the Nokia N-Gage. Like, we are truly in the future now. I'm scared. There were a lot of things in Star Wars that bothered me a great deal. That's why there's a CD-ROM out about the making of the new Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition films out next March. Making Magic contains previews of the new scenes currently being inserted into the classic movies, like Han Solo meeting Jabba the Hutt, who still looks like a lump of poo. Look, sir, droids, it's a CD-ROM for the Special Edition Star Wars films, because if you can't wait for them to be released next year, here's a little interactive CD-ROM that's effectively got some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that you'll get on the VHSs, but in a bit of much shitter quality. Even at this shitter quality, Jabba still looks absolutely terrible. It's the Making Magic CD-ROM, which I will hold my hands up. I did own. You own this one as well? Oh, yeah. Did you? No, I didn't. I, my, I only got them when the VHSs came out next year. I went to see all three of them with the pictures and then got that farty little box uh, with all three of them in and just watched all the, the special features because I, I adored it. I lapped it up. I mean, I had a part-time job. I was working either one or two full days at the weekend a lot of the time. I had disposable income and I was terrible at saving. So things like this I got. The term I can use to best describe the Making Magic CD-ROM is Lucas Gander. Looking back at it in retrospective, it is George Lucas going, but look, it's fine that I'm tampering with these films because, you know, I never really finished them and I always intended them to have wonky CGI. I just didn't have the tools at the time. It's like, fuck off, Lucas. If you'd really wanted to change things that much, you'd have done it earlier. I mean, you already did. You turned Star Wars into Episode Four. Yeah, always tinkering around with Star Wars is Lucas. I think even, you know, up until he sold it to Disney, always doing a little bit of tampering with it and stuff. McClunky. Adding in more of the Darth Vader nose into scenarios as well like I, I couldn't believe it when he added more of that into the original trilogy it is the film series that is most like a video game in that boom boom an update has been installed now you get more nose now greedo says mcclunky it is the triggers broom of science fiction movies <laughs> <laughs> oh and it certainly does trigger a lot of people by this point <laughs> A lot of this CD-ROM is essentially interviews with George Lucas. And do you remember my comment the other week about how Steven Spielberg always enthuses when he talks about movies? We were talking about Steven Spielberg's director's chair and just how much like his passion for film shines through. Just 
George Lucas here, it's no wonder he's cast Hayden Christensen, because he does not feel like he has any passion for this universe he created at all. No, it just feels like he's got another divorce on his hands and he's just trying to find a way to milk this baby dry and get a few more million out of it. Well, not only that, but allegedly by re-releasing it and doing so under his own steam in a new version, it would in theory cut the ex-wife out of the profits. Now that's just allegedly, that's kind of the same sort of allegedly I was applying to Yuri Keller, but that is one of those possibilities. I can't wait to talk about the movies next year, like we'll have it in our summer episode that we do next year, like our in-between episode, but there's a lot to dive into with those special editions. It's a shame actually that they come in the in-between episode because we probably could have spent, like we get them for weeks on end at the top of the box off. It'd have been brilliant to spend like that three month period just talking about Star Wars. I would just say that this Making Magic uh, CD-ROM, there is a better version out there behind the Magic, which has a lot more in-depth stuff. So if you do want to pick one of these up and run it on an old beige PC, go for Behind the Magic. Ever wonder what it's like to be in a black car sliding down a slippery slope? Of course you have. Well, hordes of Japanese people are quite literally finding out thanks to the Ice Ride, the latest movie you can watch while being thrown around inside a motion simulator. It's invaluable help to those who like to do this kind of thing in real life. I feel like we haven't had a news item like this since Series 4 when they were really into like the motion ride bits and bobs. Like we had a I think a little bit in series five when they were talking about the um the visual effects like festival thing. But series four, because of the intro that series four had, we had a lot more on like motion rides as this big new thing. But we've got one here for from nineteen ninety-six that's just called Ice Ride. Couldn't really find anything about this. This entire little segment feels like a cutting room floor because Dominic doesn't seem to know what's going on. It's like ever wonder what it's like to slide down a hill in a black car. Of course you have. Japanese people are going nuts for this. It's great for people that like to do this sort of thing in real life. The end. We had 30 seconds. What do you want from us? This very much feels like a, something we thought was cool in Series 4, but think is lame in Series 6. So we're just, what would have been praised two years ago is now being ridiculed. We're looking at footage that was on the B-rolls from when Don went to Japan. And we're like, this will, we can give a little bit of a voiceover on this. Boom. Done. I bet you this might have actually been filmed in the same resort that Don went to, the Artificial Beach, because they were big up their motion rides. Yeah, probably not a bad shout. But I tried searching for it and really couldn't find anything. You try going to Google and try searching for motion ride, Japan, black car, ice, snow. You get a lot of stuff about tire chains. Yeah, this was very hard to search for. Like even like, I mean, Dom says the name of it, Ice Ride, still nothing. No, he says a name for it. I don't think it was called Ice Ride. I didn't see a title screen. Therefore, I am not going to believe that this was called Ice Ride. Welcome back. We're about to begin our event for Ninja Kids, uh, so-called because we have a four kids and they're about to uh, quite literally beat each other up on Virtual Fighter Kids. We've got James and Chris who are first up and trying to outdo me in the fashion sticks once more is Derek Lynch from Namco. Welcome, Derek. <laughs> Derek, you. tell us a bit about the first two characters we're going to see fighting. Well, we'll see James, Jim Bob. Yeah, Jim, Jim Bob will be using Akira, and we can look for short, sharp, powerful dashing moves from Akira. And Chris, he's using Lau, and he'll be using palm. He's using genuine palm techniques and low sweeps. Pam yeah. techniques as yeah. we've all done in the wee small hours. We've got our boy Derek Lynch in the booth here to take us through our different players and our different characters and their different moves. Ash, I'm sure he'll remember all four of the different fighting styles. Absolutely. 
Uh, there will definitely be no cock-ups that are absolutely hilarious at all. But what there will be is Dom making wanking jokes in front of children. Ah, oh, they're out of earshot and they're too young to know what it means. It's fine. So we've got James and Chris up first. Where uh, 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 Jim Bob. Sorry, you're absolutely right. We've got Jim Bob and Chris up first. So Chris is playing as Lau while as Jim Bob is playing as Akira. And yeah, this is when this, you, know, you cut back to the kids who are well into this, by the way. Chris, and, uh, of all people, is really, really into playing this. But bloody hell, they are smashing these buttons like no tomorrow. Those are flimsy pads, kids. Have you picked up a Sega Saturn pad? They're held together by luck and hope. And if you are just twatting these buttons together, you're going to break them in half. The European Saturn pads are held together by tape and hope. The Japanese ones, you could put up a house with those. They're sturdy as all get out because they're basically built on the Mega Drive. They're, you know, it, it's very, very similar sturdy construction. But those are definitely UK pads and woof. Also, giving kids those pads for a fighting game, that's just kind of cruel. It's all Chris in that first round, but Jim Bob makes a bit of a comeback, but then Chris takes it. But the second round is like, it's all, it's all Jim Bob. And then like all of a sudden, blinking, you'll miss it. Chris makes this comeback and wins. And it really was like a case of like, not quite sure how Jim Bob managed to lose that one. It started with a punch to the nuts. Jim Bob does a jumping punch to the nuts. And after that, it all went downhill. Maybe it was like the punch to the testicles on Lau was just what kind of woke up the beast within. And suddenly combo double foot stomp, which is an inherently silly move, but it is what it is. And that was it. Finished him off. Christopher is indeed the cool dude, and he's not too shabby at fighting games, despite racing games being his forte. Hey, no, I'm going I'm to throw over to a clip here. Derek, why don't, you, why don't you take us through what fighting techniques we can expect from this second fight? Well, Michael playing cage ninjutsu. Very fast, very tricky from the ancient arts of... of... It's so ancient, we don't even know the name. This may be one of the first instances of someone blue screening of death on a television broadcast. <laughs> he just pauses and just freezes in place. It was like, line? Nowadays, if that happened, production would dub in a Windows critical stop noise. It was just dunk and dun 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 dun. It's, it's amazing. And again, goes back to, I've said this so much throughout Games Master, but, <laughs> and I say this with all the love in the world, if this was a proper production, they'd have just done another take. But it's Games Master, and they don't care. They were just like, Derek made himself look like a twat. Let's go with it. I'm glad they did, because this is funnier. It is. It's way funnier this way. It makes it feel so much more ramshackled. Like, you know, I talked about Adam and Joe earlier. That is a show that looks like it was filmed in someone's bedroom. And all of the production things, like the whole gimmick of the show is meant to look like they just filmed it in a bedroom. And even the uh, the Star Wars stuff and the toys looks like it's filmed in a bedroom by two teenagers. That's what this feels like. A bunch of mates made a telly show and you're watching that telly show. And I love that Derek does give us the visual impression of Shun the Drunken Master. He starts doing the weaving and the bobbing in the commentary booth, which amuses Dom no end. I laughed a fair bit. Some things I want to be slick. Some things I just want to be fun. And I think Games Master definitely goes into the latter category. There are some moments where I'm like, oh, they really should have done another take on that. But leaving this in, it's fun and it doesn't actually damage the episode buying being left in. It doesn't ruin a dramatic moment. It's just a commentator losing their way. Yeah, just pausing and forgetting his lines, forgetting what the point he was making. If Games Master was a tighter production, we wouldn't have had next week's Christmas episode. 
it wouldn't have happened. Definitely not. But back to the four ninja kids. This first round, there's not much to say other than Michael almost gets a perfect. It's all Michael here. Like, it is so close to being a perfect round for him. And second round, Alex does a lot better. He starts by kicking Michael's mask off right away. And then it is just proper full-on button mashing. Cage stays just ahead hits his foot stomp, and it looks like Alex might have actually pulled this back, but Michael just flips the tables, takes two rounds in a row, he's going through to the final. So we've got Michael versus Chris. Yeah, Michael, who won both of his rounds, like 2-0, and Chris, who won his game 2-0 as well. Like, that means we are, we should be facing off against the best of the best here, which I think it's, it's quite a nice little thing going into the final. Alex came so close in that second round, though. It was a Nat's dick length of, of energy bar left. Like many celebrities who can't be named for legal reasons, these games are all out now. And as a cut and razor for our footy final, it's FIFA 97. The presentation throughout is fantastic. The FMB sequence that starts the game is absolutely awesome. First, you've got John Motson, Andy Gray, and Des Lynham this time providing the commentary. Plus, David Ginola was motion captured. In my opinion, the indoor five-a-side mode is the only thing in FIFA 97 that's better than in the previous version. The playability is worse. It's gone absolutely loony. This is far better than the previous FIFA games. The motion capture actually increases the gameplay and makes it that much more realistic, so I'd buy it. Now, I've never played the PlayStation version of FIFA 97, but as I've mentioned previously, I played the ever-loving shit out of FIFA 97 on the Mega Drive absolutely adored FIFA 97 on the Mega Drive, not just because you can create your own teams in that, but it's that indoor football mode, which is kind of like what Ed talks about here. It's like, you know, the indoor football mode is the only thing that's really bad and added to the game that sort of improved it. Otherwise, it's borderline the same thing in some cases worse. But yet, as I said early, earlier in this episode run, I wish that FIFA 97's indoor tournaments had been what they used for the football tournaments. Because I think it's it's such a fun way of doing it. It's such a madcap way of playing the game. It is a fully 3D game, uh, at least on the PlayStation and Saturn and PC CD-ROM. David Ginola from Newcastle United was not only the cover star, but he was the one used for all the motion capture. Whilst the main feature, other than the motion capture, was, as you mentioned, the indoor football, the PC version, I think, has a few things that I don't know if they're new to this version, but are very notable in that... If you can get 20 computers in the same room connected up via network, you can have 20 players via LAN, via a local area network, 20 player football games. If you're just in different areas, you can have up to eight players using a modem. But just that concept of an eight player football game, but where you all have your own screens or 20 player where you all have your own screens. So you all are actually playing the position that you're meant to be in. In reality, everyone's just going to rush the goal and it will be an absolute mess. Only the most dedicated football esports sim players, which weren't even really a thing at that time, would go, no, I'm a defender. I'm going to play as a defender. Everyone else would be, cool, I mean defence. I'm going to run up the pitch because that's what I do. Yeah, everyone rushes where the ball is. Like that is just 20 people all charging at the ball at the same time, leading to absolute carnage on screen. What I really like about this review is that it's really the first time that we've had Rick and Ed on so diametrically opposed opinions on this game because Rick really, really likes this. You know, it's far better than the previous FIFA games. But Ed's like, actually, I think in some cases, the changes they've made have made the game worse. To the point, like, Rick comes back on and goes like, he's gone loony. This is the best FIFA game in ages. 
I think I'm leaning more towards Rick on this one because this was a substantial jump for FIFA. It added new modes. We had that motion capture. As I say, even if it's only on the PC version, that LAN mode, that's something pretty bloody awesome. That is definitely embracing the PC future of gaming. And that's not even getting into the bit they mention about all the different commentary, including, you know, Des Lynam. Des Lynam is providing voice work. It's just making this more immersive and more real. I'm I'm definitely siding with Rick on this. I am still shocked that it only gets 86%. I am as well, actually. Which is played over a clip of an own goal. Yeah, I, I think that is quite a surprising score, considering how much Rick loved it. And as I said, like from personal experience, I put more hours into FIFA 97 than I did FIFA 95 or FIFA International Soccer. And like, I think this is really like my last FIFA game I ever have, because I don't have 98. I had World Cup 98, but I didn't have FIFA 98. I then moved on to like the This Is Football series in the early 2000s. So yeah, this is kind of like my last FIFA and it was the one that I put the most time into. So I, I, I'm with Rick more than I am Ed on this one, at least from a Mega Drive perspective. If we'd reviewed NBA Jam Extreme a couple of years ago, I would have made lots of jokes about kissing the rim, but I'm a lot more mature now. The main differences between NBA Jam Extreme and the previous games, firstly, it's in 3D. Secondly, you've got over 100 secret characters, over 30 new dunks, most of them activated with the new Extreme button. The secrets are absolutely crazy. First, you can have big heads, other secrets include the dribble demo, where basically your player dribbles fantastically through his legs and around his back. Finally, you can change the ball into a gigantic beach ball that bounces around, and if that fits in the basket, God knows. NBA Jam Extreme's just taken over from it. It's still four-player, you've got the new graphics, and loads of crazy secrets, and it's still fast, good fun. Up next, we've got NBA Jam Extreme. Now I know what you're thinking. I thought Midway didn't do any more NBA Jam games. Because you're right, this is not a Midway NBA Jam game. There was this weird sort of like loophole where Acclaim, the publishers of it, ended up with the rights to the name itself. So they made a new NBA Jam game while Midway went off to do NBA Hangtime instead. It's supposed to be this big follow-on to the huge success that NBA Jam had a couple of years earlier, but I don't think it really captures that. So really, it, it is still very arcadey, it is still very silly, but it is not the glory days of NBA Jam that we had back in 94. No, this is very much, let's take the same game and give it a 3D engine. There's no massive changes to the gameplay mechanic. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of new characters. There's a whole bunch of new dunks and new special bits and pieces. There's the new extreme button, uh, which I believe is actually just kind of the turbo button under a different name. It is the late 90s after all. It is the late 90s after all. We see a few changes, which is Tim Kitterow is out as the commentator. Marv Albert instead, who was a longtime sports broadcaster, is providing the play-by-play instead. It does affect it a bit because when I think of NBA Jam, it's that voice, that original voice, Tim's voice, that always sticks in my head. I think I had this game. I don't think I had it at time of release. I think this was a second-hand slash bargain bin, may have even been missing the manual kind of pickup. I had fun with it. I always liked two-on-two basketball games, and that was exactly what this was. It was that NBA Jam silly arcade mode. But like a lot of games that had early forays into 3D, if I pick up one to play now, it's going to be the 2D original. Same here. Yeah, 86% for that, which is the same score as FIFA 97, even though it sounds like 
I mean, Rick was way more into FIFA 97 than he was NBA Jam Extreme. So actually, it felt like quite a high score for it in the end. Both are games that are firmly moving a franchise into the 3D territory. Part you are on was supposed to be a tribute to the classic BBC children's series Vision On, but the programmers couldn't spell. Each robot's got two long-range weapons and a close-range weapon, as well as special attacks. They've also got jetpacks on their back, letting them fly up into the air and attack from above. And the split-screen two-player mode's fantastic, and I highly recommend you have a go. The boxes on the landscape that you can hide behind become transparent when your opponent's on the other side, allowing you to see them and shoot them. I'm not sure whether I like this game. I think I do, but I think it's in a case where it's beat em up, not beat em up, beat em up, not beat em up. Lastly, sticking out like a sore thumb, because you said the other two were sports titles, we've got Virtual On. It's the conversion of the the arcade game. Uh, Apparently, Ash, now I I haven't fully looked this up. Uh, It's not on the Wikipedia page as far as I can tell, but Dom claims that this was supposed to be a, a video game version of Vision On, but they misspelled it. Now, perhaps that was on the Wikipedia page and it was sourced, but it has since been removed, so I can't quite confirm whether that is true or not. I mean, Dom would not lie to us, so I have to assume it's true and that it is the internet that is at fault. As we all know, the internet is mostly wrong. Uh, My favourite thing about this review, though, is Rick, who is just like, I don't know if I like this game. I think I do. I mean, I don't really know what genre it is, but I think I like it. 83%. I am remarkably very much on board with that summary because I've played Virtual On in the arcade. I've played it on the Saturn. It even appears in one of the more recent Yakuza games as a playable game within one of the arcades. I'm still not sure if I like this game. The only thing is, is I haven't had the chance to play it at home with the Saturn Twin Stick. And that is very much the way it is designed to be played. It's designed to be a Twin Stick game. Maybe if I could be bothered to buy that Virtual On Twin Stick, because spoilers, outside of Virtual On, there aren't many games that it's compatible with, even less than the 3D analog stick. Maybe I would change my mind on it because I mean, I like so much about the visuals. I love giant stompy robots. I love that kind of mecha style Gundam, Pat Labor, giant fighting machines. And it does look pretty good it's still available in a number of different ways today including as i mentioned part of the yakuza series which arguably i'd say is the best way to experience it because you also get to play a yakuza game okay at the start of the show we had four tiny kids and now there are only two competing to be the winner of our fort ninja kids event so we have uh, chris and michael who've made it through to the final best of luck guys it's uh, once again the best of three whoever wins two bites will walk away with the golden joystick best of luck guys off you go. There's a moment in this when, and he, this happens quite a few times, Cage, who's been played by uh, Michael, does a throw and he hits that throw and then the game shows a replay of that throw and then it shows a replay of that throw. I don't think Dom is aware of that though because he thinks that Cage is doing three throws. And I was watching back to because I've not played Virtual Fighter Kids, but the way it looked like, it looked like a replay thing, but maybe Dom's right. Is it just multiple throws? I genuinely don't know. Because it just looks like a replay as opposed to... And like looking at the damage bar, it only gets damaged once as opposed to three times. I think part of it is as well, is like Tekken does that as well, is you land a punch, particularly when it's an ending punch, and it's like boom, boom, boom. It's still impressive that this child is doing this throw, assuming it's not just a macro-encoded move. And once he works out how to do it, boy howdy, does he use it a lot. 
he does as well because Chris has also figured out that ring outs are a thing. So that is that's his new tactic. Works for him well the first time round. It doesn't, unfortunately, the second two times. No, I mean that second round ending on a time decision. Oh, there's not much in it there. There really isn't, no. And this is where we get one of my favourite lines of the episode. It's the one that I used uh, as my opening line is when Derek says that Cage he is putting out throws like. I I don't quite think that's what you mean, Derek, is it? Fair. He couldn't remember what a ninja was earlier. I'm going to cut him some slack on that one. I mean, going back to Adam and Joe, they used to have this thing on Six Music called an egg corn, which is where you have slightly misheard a common phrase. The one that always springs to mind is when a, a, a child, when speaking about an untidy room, said it looks like a bombsy tit as opposed to it looks like a bomb has hit it. And I said at the top of the show, this game is very much small children button mashing and is still not the worst fighting challenges we've had. Like like we've had adults doing worse. I mean, dear Lord, never mind adults, other children, the rise of the robots challenge. It, oh. oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is this is far from the worst fighting challenge we've had on this show. And it's actually quite nice to see kids back on the show again because we haven't really had them much. Like we've had... Lots of grumpy teenagers. We've had adults who are good at games. And we've had sort of like slightly older kids, like maybe 10, 11 years old or something. Like we had that kid playing the Doom Challenge last series. But this is like series one and two children playing the games. And yeah, like they brought them in because it's virtual fighter kids, but also like it's it kind of takes you back to old Games Master. I mean, I do just want to point out you forgot to mention Baby Rom, Luke. Yeah, well, yeah they, they're the slightly older kids we've had since Baby Rom. Yeah. But they're not, they're not much older than the kids on Baby Rom. So it's one apiece as we go into the final round here. And bloody hell, Michael as Cage just fucking oh. dominates this round and wins quite easily. Yeah, it ends with a rapid series of punches followed by a somersault kick. And boom, Michael has absolutely owned this. Okay, nice one there, Michael. Uh, let's talk to the losers first of all. Starting with Chris, let's have a, a very brief excuse for losing from all of you. Well, we kept on doing too many wrong and I don't know how to do it. Okay, fine. Let's move on, Jim Bob. Well, um, he keeps not doing too many punches and too many kickings and he uh-huh. keeps too many throws and things. Right, and Alex, your excuse? Um, he was totally drunk. Right, your guy, you were playing. Well, that's the best excuse, actually, and a lot of uh, men, a lot older than you, have used that excuse for many things in life. Um, Michael, let's go on to you. Talk us about some of the tactics that you used to win. Well, because I won nearly all the things that I was practicing, and I won it because I was doing lots of punching, lots of throws, and Uh when he was down, I kept jumping up and kicking him and punching him in the face. Maybe a technique you could have used on your auntie's pony. (laughs) <laughs> that might have, you know, might, might still be here today. You never know. And we go to the post-match. Dom speaks with the winners and the losers, wants to get some excuses from them. And Chris is like, yeah, he just kept doing too many rolls and I didn't know how to do them. Jim Bob's like, too many punches, kicks and throws. Alex is the smart one. He's like, my fighter was pissed. Yeah, can't play as that character. He's drunk all the time. But Michael, with an amazing winning tactic here, he practised. He practised. And he knew how to do lots of throws. He knew how to do lots of kicks. He knew how to do lots of punches. And he used those throws, kicks and punches to great effect. And he kept hitting them when they were down. <laughs> yeah. Tom's line of, God, if you'd only done that to the pony, must still be with us today. <laughs> if you'd have thrown, punched and kicked that, that pony while it was down, 
might have still been with us. You never know. And that sonic boom you just heard was the sound of that joke flying straight over <laughs> Michael's head. Michael's going to look back on this fondly because not only does he get his Games Master golden joystick, he also gets kisses from the mermaid. It's a chunky first half, that as well. That is, you know, a full Virtual Fighter Kids Challenge, three fights spread across two different segments. We had the news, we had the reviews. That's a fair old chunk of a first half of this episode. Mild spoilers, this second half is dominated by the football. And I actually think it works really, really well. There's nothing to detract from it. It's all about the beautiful game. Okay, while we sweep away the broken dreams of three poor pretty bessins, uh, we will head towards a commercial break. Coming up in part two, our grand final of our footy tournament. Watch those ads. Fisher Price knows kids are always on the move, so at the Flip Track Land Air and Sea Set, everything's moving. Helicopters flying, drawbridge opening, ferry boat passing, cars skidding, trains running, all pile up inside the mountain tunnel. At the Fisher Price Flip Track Land Air and Sea Set, everything moves, including the mountain. People keep telling me why they like Kellogg's fruit and fibre so much. For some, it's Kellogg's light, whole wheat flakes. For others, it's the way it makes them feel! Some find their apples beyond temptation. And some like the more banana-y taste. Some want to feel like this. And some folks go crazy for the bigger nutty bits. Me? I just like the taste. Kellogg's Fruit and Fibre. You'll feel as good as it tastes. A Disney video is one gift that'll be enjoyed long after Christmas. With so much magic, no wonder a child will choose to watch a Disney video time and time again. Little rockets? Rockets explode! Lucky! Disney videos. We'll take them home. One Christmas present they'll want to open again and again. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Morning. Morning, Dad. Oh, yeah. I must sort out that loan. But I can't get to the bank. Hello. There's a new convenient way to get an unsecured personal loan. Call Lombard Direct. Free on 0800 24 hours a day. We have loans from 800 to 15,000 pounds for almost anything, and our rates are low. One call to Lombard Direct, and you're laughing. To arrange a loan or for more information, call free on 0800 215,000. The battle to save the future has begun. Destroy them. No! Star Trek First Contact. Welcome back to Gamesmaster, and we are quite literally in a we're about to start our grand footy final. Let's go for the Gamesmaster for a final tip type situation. And as we come back from the ad break, we better jump straight into it. What are we playing, Gamesmaster? What? Oh, hello. What are you waiting for? Get on with it. All, all right, right, very, all right, right, very, all right. Yeah, fair Jesus. enough. Get on with it. Bloody hell. Like, there's a format to this show, Gamesmaster, which is that I ask you, what are we playing? And then you tell me. Don't have a pop at me for following the script. He's a cranky bugger today, isn't he? That's because he's remembering all those terrible childhoods he had. Multiple childhoods. He, well, he's a sentient being. He's been rebooted several times over now. Maybe each one comes with its own distinct past. Welcome back, Richard. Now... Chris, it was only last week uh, that we saw you, a very tight game against our veteran Rick Henderson, edged them out 1-0 with a beautiful lob. What kind of game are we going to see from you tonight? I think more of the same, a uh, bit defensive, just keep it tight at the back and hopefully hit them on the break. Um, you know, one goal, one nil will be enough. All right then, Richard, now uh, in your game, it went the penalties against Michael Dubry, you edged them out there 4-3. Are you going to be playing for a draw and hoping to rely on your temperament under pressure again? No, this time I'm going to go for it straight off and look looking to get a good result and hopefully beat Chris. So we've got Chris and Richard back for the final and you know, get to shake Dom's hand, which is always nice. But like kind of what we talked about last week, neither of them are particularly charismatic or I don't want to say they're not comfortable on camera, but they're footballers. They are doing typical football punditry and football interviews and stuff, which is just like, yeah, nice, simple passing game. Hopefully get some shots on target, play a clean game. Hopefully are. My back four do their job. Is there's like not really a whole much to be saying about it. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, keep defensive, tight at the break. Richard is the best. Where he's just like, I'm just going to go for goals. That's it. <laughs> it's, it's the best tactic I've got. It's a video game, mate. At least they're not mentioning Stan Collymore this week. I mean, I would have fully expected Dom to have done it as well. I would have fully expected us to be reviewing episode 12 and Dom still bringing it up. But Dom instructs the footballers to assume their position and goes to the box where Jim Rosenthal is waiting. It's almost like he never left. It's almost like they shot these all in the same day. And while Jim does have age and experience, he is lacking that Scottish lilt that women find so irresistible. Now, Luke, I put it to you. What flavour is Scottish lilt? Uh, iron brew. It is iron brew with a slice of pineapple in. <laughs> exactly, a deep fried. Deep, deep Oh, God. Apologies to any of our Scottish listeners for going for the really base jokes there, but, you know, it, 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 hey, they cut, they, they draw from experience. Apparently, Jim has seen both men's semis. <laughs> <laughs> he knows what show he's on. <laughs> he does. And his favourite is Richard for his temperament and solid financial advice. Okay, he didn't say that. I said that. 
Jim is really comfortable here. You can tell that after that slightly awkward first game, he's just fallen right into it. Him and Dom have a nice little bit of back and forth. And yeah, you said he knows what show this is now. And I think that not only is this the best final of a celebrity games master football tournament that we've had, I think this is easily the best final. I think it's shaping up to be my favorite football challenge we've ever had. I thought this whole game was brilliant. I thought it was so much fun to watch. It is very one-sided, but there's also a bit of back and forth in there as well. Like it's one-sided in terms of goals, but it is quite back and forth. It's not just one person dominating the proceedings. I had a really good time with this and it's kind of helped by the fact they've now put a timer in the bottom corner to let you, the audience at home, know how long is left of the half or how long is left of the game. And I think the reason we didn't get that before now is because that would have revealed the edits. Whereas this one, they are letting play out in pretty much real time. Uh, they've got a few cutaways to the commentators where I'm sure they could like kind of jog things along a little bit if they needed to there. But other than that, we just have that three-minute half. It's Holland versus Brazil. It's a cracking match. There's a lot of back and forth. The goals that we get are really nice. Even though it's not the one that actually ends up being a goal, we get a bicycle kick in this match. Shot the tournament, this, is from the midfield position, an overhead kick, as you mentioned, a bicycle kick is used as a through ball to send his forward one-on-one with the keeper and then just chips it over and it bounces off the bar. It's incredible scenes. You know, there's that, I've forgotten what it's called. There's that anime series or manga series, Captain Subasso, I think it's called or whatever. And they had a game came out recently for the Switch and PS4. That is the sort of exchange of passes and plays that I would expect to see in an anime interpretation of a football match. It's like, is that bicycle kick converting into a goal? No, it's just for a through ball. It's using a Canadian destroyer as a setup move for your finish. Like it is, it's, it's a shame that it doesn't actually give us the goal. It's just, it gives it a really incredible like moment. And I could probably like, oh, because it bounces off the bar and stuff. But immediately Richard responds by just chipping it over and goes 2-0 up. He's like, all right, well, I'll do the first time around, but I'll definitely get it this time. And I love that Jim on commentary is like, chips with everything. Chips with everything. <laughs> it's like Scotland. Uh, <laughs> that, that was in a little voice in my head and I'm like, no, that's a low-hanging fruit. I'm not going to go there. Thank you for having less restraint than me. I'm always grabbing that low-hanging fruit. It's why we record remotely now. <laughs> 50 seconds left. Less than a minute. Richard scores again. This is all the keeper's fault here. Because that keeper had hold of that ball, and yet somehow he still scored. Sweat. That's all it must be. Just sweat or poor collision detection. I had this note of, as I was making my kind of live notes on the on a run-through, I'm just like, at the one-minute mark, back on the attack, ooh, it might not be too late with gameplay like that. Then that third goal off the keeper. Yeah, it's definitely too late now. Essentially, the best Chris can do is get a dignity goal. Uh, the first attempt is saved, then it turns into a corner. And that corner converts into a beautiful goal. Again, everything in this final is just so nice. And while it's not enough, it is a perfect end to the match. It's it wasn't really good, a complete yeah. domination. There was back and forth and just so much fun. What they lacked in charisma on the mic, they made up for on the pitch. And you mentioned earlier, like, you wonder if, like, oh, maybe Brazil can mount a comeback. Dominic even says, like, after that goal goes in, oh, could we see a Brazil comeback here? And I looked at the timer that had four seconds left. And I was like, probably not, Dom. But hey, you know, wilder things have happened. Jim even says, you can never count out the Brazilians. I think in this instance, we probably can. 
four, three, two, one. We've counted them out. Yeah. You had a lot of shots on goal, yeah. but they weren't really going anywhere. Why was that? What was happening? I don't know. Uh, not too happy with my team's performance. Um, I think it's more okay. Maybe you personally leaving your shooting boots at home. I think Alexia said a forward tested, to tell yeah. the truth. It was, uh, it was a bit strange, but the one goal that you did get was a, was a bit of a cracker, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't bad. I've been working on the, the lobs earlier on and been working in training, but mm -hmm. just didn't come off today. Well, yours did, Richard. Out of all your three goals, which would be the pick of them? I think it'll have to be the chip, of course. It got me into the final and I scored again in the final, so it'll have to be the chip. OK, and uh, finally, over to Mr Jim Rosenthal. Your verdict on the game, did it live up to its expectations? It, it did. Um, I normally can't tip rubbish, but uh, we tipped Richard before the final, and he gave Chris, I'd have to say, a lesson in finishing. <laughs> and it's funny as well, because, like, you know, we get into the post-match here. I, I said in his semi that I didn't think that Richard was the better player of the two, but he was great in this one. He really, really got to grips with the game, and he had a fabulous little final. Yeah, I mean, Chris isn't too happy with his team's performance and he certainly wants to see a drug test on his centre forward. He's like, yeah, we've been working and training and it didn't come off today. Richard, however, his favourite goal? Oh, the chip. Chips with everything. Chips. It was chips with everything. And he absolutely nailed it with that. We even get a little interview with Jim as well. Uh, Jim was basically just like, I'm glad I picked Richard to win because now I don't look like an idiot. Yeah, the final lived up to the anticipation and Richard gave Chris a lesson in finishing. Maybe in return... Chris can help Richard with his taxes. With hits like Ridge Racer and Tekken under their pants, Japanese software Supremo's Namco undoubtedly produced some of the best 32-bit games around. So when they sent us a large bribe to preview their latest PlayStation stuff, we said, oh, all right then. Rage Racer. No, not Rave Racer, which was Namco's follow-up to Ridge Racer, but Rage Racer, they obviously like the word. Out next February, it's an all-new driving game from the Flatbits Give Me Steep Steep Hills School of Game Design. 13 cars to choose from, which you can even customise, but unfortunately, the choice of four tracks doesn't really compete with F117. Kind of rounding things off here is a feature that, again, kind of sort of feels like cutting room floor stuff, just like, well, we've got a minute and a half left of the episode, so what can we put in here? Well, we've got this footage of some previews that Namco that Namco have sent to us. So we've got Rage Racer up first, and it's like, it's out next February. And it just sort of feels like a little bit of... It's running a bit short, this. What have we got in the back pockets? Oh, that'll do. That's 90 seconds worth of stuff. Hey, don't get me wrong. It's nice to see these games. And I think, though, we've seen two out of three of these games already. I don't think we've seen Rage Racer. That's the only one that is new to Games Master and therefore kind of new to this podcast. Yeah, Rave Racer we had a couple of weeks back. But Rage Racer is, you know, it's the new one for us. And even then, like the games that we've got in the other two, which is Soul Legend Time Crisis, these are the home ports of the the arcade games rage racer is the one for me that just sticks out and this is not just in this feature but sticks out in general because it was a shift in direction for the series it went kind of grimdark as a racer because this game is now trying to look a bit too much i mean it's it's a game that's in the future but it's trying to look a bit too much gran turismo it's like trying to look like a simulator and that isn't really what i expect from a namco blank racer game I want arcadey fun. I want cars that have a strange relationship with physics and gravity. I don't need realism. And this game just just seemed to tr want to try and be realistic, but also still arcade at the same time. And I just don't think it worked. Particularly because like, it's hard to do realism stuff when you've only got four tracks. Because you're going to be playing those tracks a lot. 
if you've got such a small pool to pick from, it needs to be arcadey. It needs to be a bit fun. So I think, yeah, taking it in a serious direction isn't the way forward. Also, the title is weird. Like, Ridge Racer, I get. Rave Racer, I kind of get. Rage Racer? Like, even even Dom has to, like, clarify, being like, no, 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 I didn't say Rave Racer. This is Rage Racer. It feels like a title that was perhaps chosen by Japan without fully realising how it might sound overseas. I, I mean, I remember I got this game. I think I got it before I read a review, and that was a mistake I didn't often make, and this was definitely one. I mean, I played it. I got my money's worth out of it, but once I was done with it, I was done with it and it got exchanged in not much more than a month after purchase next up and namco's latest beat em up a conversion of their arcade hit soul edge slightly faster than tekken the game has 10 characters wielding weapons bigger than mine there's some superbly inventive ways of breaking bones as well that even manchester youths don't know about a new weapon select option allows players to tool up with two foppers at once while others will go for the more direct approach Soul Edge is released next March. I don't know anyone that had Rage Racer, but my friend had Soul Edge and loved that game. Like he was really trying to pull the bandwagon and try and pull me on the board to be like, look, this is better than Street Fighter. Because bear in mind, you know, I'm still, it's 1996. I'm still Mega Drive. I'm still Super Street Fighter 2. He is really trying to pull me across to be like, look, man, this is better than Street Fighter. And while I, you know, it's a good game, I'm, I was Street Fighter all the way. I loved Soul Edge. I love the Soul Calibur series in general. We still have a copy of Soul Edge. I'm 99% certain that that is the game that is in the uh, PS3 chunky that we've got under the main TV. Because you've got the single player mode there where you're going around, you're collecting all the weapons. It's a great game. It's a good time. I was on board with this. I'm still a Street Fighter kid. Like, if you ask me to just pick a fighting game to play immediately, I'm going to go with a Street Fighter. Either a Street Fighter 2, Turbo, or Street Fighter 4, any of the variants on those. Those are going to be my two go-tos. But if you sit me down in front of a Soul Edge or a Soul Calibur, you know, I won't turn my nose up at it. I do like it a lot. I love the the presentation, the lore building they do. I love the really fucking weird guest characters we get in later games. Hey, Darth. Hey, Yoda. Hey, Link. Hey, Spawn? Spawn is a really weird one. The other ones almost made sense, like, you know, because you had Yoshimitsu, because it's, oh, it's a a Sony thing. It's a Sony franchise Tekken. Oh, it's Link. Oh, that makes sense, because that's a Nintendo thing. Oh, it's Spawn, because, well, I guess Spawn can be the mascot for Xbox. He's got a game on the Xbox. Spawn aesthetically makes more sense than some of the others. If you had to say, which fits into the Soul Calibur universe more, Darth Vader or Spawn? It's like, well... I might be going out on a limb here, but Spawn isn't a fucking robot with a no. light sword and bleepy bloopy lights. Like Spawn at least looks like he could exist within the Soul Calibur universe. But yeah, the Star Wars ones, the ones that always struck me as the weird, the weird notes out. All the others I could just kind of work around, even though Link's character design did just look like, well, it's Nintendo's Link. It doesn't fit the character aesthetics of the others. But this is the first before they changed the titles to avoid copyright problems with another game publisher. It's a, it's a good old time, and it started, what, I think we're on Soul Calibur 5? 7? Yeah, I think so. Like, I haven't kept track of the Soul Calibur series for eons now. Like, if you'd have asked me, is it still going? I would have said no, but that's only because I haven't played one since Soul Calibur 3. I haven't played the one since Link, is essentially like, that is 
the almost beginning and end of my Soul Calibur run. I've actually just checked while you were talking your little bit there. Is it Soul Calibur 6, which was first released in October 2018 and is still out there now. It's available on PS4, Xbox One and Microsoft Windows. It did get some criticism from the director and producer of the Dead or Alive series, Hmm. who basically called them out going, I'm always getting shit for my games being full of fan service. And yet, when Soul Calibur 6 does it, they don't get dick over it. And I think the simple answer for that is, Soul Calibur, to the best of my knowledge, doesn't have a specific jiggle physics slider. I was going to say, I think that is, again, the creator of Dead or Alive not realising why people have a pop at him for the Dead or Alive franchise. All I'm doing is giving the fans choice on how much boobage there is. Last to be released, the long-awaited conversion of Namco's answer to Virtua Cop, Time Crisis. Only 50% complete, like myself, this preview version shows it's lost nothing in the translation. The good news is that all the original's 12 stages are in there, plus a completely new area. And if you are wondering, a second button on the gun that comes with the game replaces the arcade pedal to provide the dodge function. Time Crisis is out next April and should be Jungle's Massive. And our last preview here is Time Crisis, though while it's only 50% complete that we get to see here, the full game will be out next April. The, I think the cool thing about the Time Crisis home port is the adaption they did on the gun, because you don't get a pedal, a peripheral that comes with it. Instead, you just have a button on the side of the gun that does your duck mechanic. She thinks a really smart workaround. Although there were third-party guns that did actually bring the foot pedal back. You could either use the button or use the foot pedal, and they weren't alone in that. That foot pedal could also be used to reload for other games that use light guns and other things. It was basically a kind of a universal foot pedal, but it did allow you to more accurately recreate that arcade experience at home. Time Crisis on the PlayStation was perfectly good. It was, I think, one of the arcade conversions that Namco did where the most sacrifices had to be made. The frame rate was a lot lower. A lot of detail was lost. But it was a very, very solid conversion. I think they added a new a new range to it, didn't they? A new area? There was an entire new area? Yeah, I think Dom even mentioned it here. There's 12 original stages and there's a new stage that's a uh, home port exclusive. And it should be out next April and should be Jungle is Massive! <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> at least we know what songs are out in the charts at this point. Because that is a great old song, by the way. Jungle is Massive. Incredible. This outro is a very odd outro. Okay, that's it for another show. Next week sees our Christmas special. We haven't recorded it yet. It might be fantastic. It might be pants. The only way that you will find out is if you tune in. And while you're uh, considering that, I will give you another question to toss over in your little minds. If video games make small children violent, why is it only grown men who go off to war? Good night. Oh, this I love this outro because... It begs the question of, when we, when we saw Games Master Series 8 being filmed, they filmed all the outros at once because the camera's there set up and they can do all the outros at one after the other. So it sort of begs the question of, like, we know that they're filming this series in order. Like, certainly all of the links and everything are in order. They know exactly what episode is airing on what one, what celebrities are going to be on each episode and things like that. But did they also film the outros in order as well? Because there's a sort of a delightful irony to this because it's just like hey it's the christmas special next week which might be pants but we don't know because we haven't filmed it yet it's either like an ironic oh you've got no idea what you're going with yeah you don't know what's going to happen yet and you don't know the date this is the last we're going to see of dave perry and you're going to completely screw him over and he's going to storm out of the show or they have filmed it and they do know and it's done being like whacka whacka who knows what will happen next week 
But that does wrap it up for episode eight. And because I got in first, Luke, what did you make of it? I, I said earlier, like, it's a chunky first half of that episode, like, with a, a full three-round challenge. The, the, the rounds were given time as well. It's not like, you know, series three, a three-round challenge where you had sort of, like, 20 seconds per round. You had a chunky old news feature. You had a chunky review section with three games in it. It's a packed, packed first half. But it means that the second half has got so much room to breathe because it's just all that football challenge up until the sort of 90 second ending. It's kind of a shame that they didn't just have the full second half just on the football challenge. Like, so he literally is the introduction, the challenge, the ceremony, and the end of the episode. And I get, you know, timings and everything has sort of worked out the way that it did. But even with that sort of like fairly forgettable outro, a fairly forgettable feature and stuff, it's a wicked old episode because that chunky first half is so packed and so good. And the second half, for the most part, is really great because it's the best football challenge I think we've had on the show. I think overall this ends up being a great episode of Games Master. A slight change I'd have made. Come back for the second half. You bring the footballers back on. You have your little bit of punditry. And then Dom goes up, has a little bit of back and forth in the commentary box and then goes, whilst the players limber up, here's today's feature. Boom, 90 second feature then. And then we just run from that through to the end of the episode on the football challenge i'd have just i'd have kept that 90 second feature because it's a palate cleanser it's inoffensive it doesn't do anything wrong it doesn't give us much new but it's cool because these are games that whilst we may have seen most of them before they're coming to the home console they're going to be available to us to buy for home it's new for 1996 yeah and this is kind of what game part of what games master's mission is which is okay we've seen these games in the arcade before but look these are the versions coming to your home and they don't even hide the fact that namco are throwing the money to do this just that slight flip i think would have actually made the episode be a proper upwards curve to the end rather than an upwards curve followed by a little bit of a falter and down that doesn't ruin my enjoyment of the episode it's just a slightly odd feeling but you're right this first half is chunky chunky is the word But it's also so much fun. Despite the opening, Dom is not excessively mean to the kids, which I think I appreciate. He is he is for all his bluster and, you know, treating them like urchins. He's he's softened a little bit towards kids. There are some moments where I think a series four Dom would have been much more brutal, particularly regarding the dead donkey. He'd have been so much meaner to those kids. Maybe not to their faces, but certainly within his commentary and stuff, he would have been making sort of snide comments and stuff. A really grumpy Series 4, Dominic. He's much softer here in Series 6, and I think it's nicer to see. And I, as I said, like I thought it was actually quite nice to have kids playing games again, because it really did take me back to those early days of Games Master when it was just kids off the street playing video game challenges and one of them wins a joystick. And I kind of really appreciate this. Like, I would love to have a chat with one of them now because they'd be all grown up and maybe they might not have the greatest memories of it or, you know, like really remember it vividly. But they might have some really like nice and innocent stories to tell. Where are you sitting percentage wise on this? Because I'm trying to think like the first half is good. Like it's fun. It's solid. That football challenge, though, it really picks it up. The footballers are not the most engaging on the mic, but when they get behind the pads for that final, ooh, it's a story to be told. I think this is yet another 90% Series 6 episode. Like, Series 6 is just like banger after banger. We've had a couple of, like, not great ones, 
But like it really was just a small period. I feel like we're back now into that sort of 90 period. And it's not high 90s, not mid 90s, but I think it's bang on the banana 90%. And it's just, it feels like it's hit after hit with this show. I was going to go to 91. I think that was about as high as I was going to go. I was kind of like veering between 89 and 91, but that football challenge definitely pushes it over the 90 mark. So if you're going 90, I think I'm going to go 91. So we're not perfectly in sync, but we're both pretty high on this episode. I think this is a great, great episode of the show. And I had a thoroughly good time having a watch of it as well. Also, I forgot to mention, December 12th, it's two days before my 11th birthday this episode. So I know exactly where I was in our time frame. Oh. If you were to ask me what I got for that birthday, I just do not remember for the life of me. I was I was thinking about this over the weekend because I knew we were going to be recording this episode. I just could not think for the life of me what I get. I know what next year's present is. I get Tomb Raider on the PC, Tomb Raider 2 on the PC. I have no idea what I got for this birthday, though. Maybe, maybe it was FIFA 97. I don't know. Yeah, I was just thinking FIFA 97 on the Mega Drive feels like it could be a thing. Could have been because that. You'd have had to Because you'd have had to have got it at some point. Here's one other thing it could possibly be. Now, I'm just going to do a quick Google here. Do, 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 do. Ha. Huh. Do you know what? I think I might know what it is. Okay. I think I might have got either a full army or certainly some add-ons for Necromunda, the Games Workshop uh, skirmish um, uh, war game, because I had my Goliath army that came like free with the box. So my brother had got it for Christmas he either gets it for Christmas this year or he gets it for Christmas 95. And I don't know if I got my, like, the full version of the Goliath Army or I got some additions to my Goliath Army. That could have also possibly been what I got for my birthday. Uh, so you were sniffing Games Workshop paints at this point then? Could have, And it could have been Workshop paints as well. Could have been the GW Workshop paints. That is also, like, for a teenager, that is a great great oh, christmas loved present. it yeah but anyway that's going to wrap it up for this episode thank you all so much for listening you all rule if you want to find us on social media we're on twitter at under console pod we're on instagram at under dot console and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. and if you want to give us a bit of feedback in real time chat with us chat with other listeners and fans of retro games and retro pop culture you can do so over on our discord details of which can be found in the show notes and if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you'll get access to ucp extra which is this show format but about other shows from the 80s and 90s and you'll get our monthly community show under console nation but if you back to the five pen level you will get next week's episode one week early and ad free but at the 10 pound level get a little bit extra ash what do they get at the £10 level, they will get our Patreon merch pack, which is stickers, badges, retro trading cards, retro sweeties, all contained within a glittering golden joystick waggler mug. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Tom, The Amazing Cliff, Simon, Sean, Sarah, aka Pink Lithium, Richard, Reese, Nick, Misha, Matty Boo, Mark, Link, Kevin, Jamie... Ian, I am Cheadle, Harriet Manga Girl, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brands, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Chrissy Two Sticks, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andrew, Adam, Paul, and Andy. Now, usually at this point I would just say, we'll see you in seven days' time, but we do want to kind of address the elephant in the room, because next week's episode in our timeline is that episode. It's the Super Mario 64 incident. It's the episode that when you and I first started this podcast, we had so many people messaging on Twitter being like, oh, you're on the countdown now to the Super Mario 64 incident. Or how long is it going to take for you to get the Super Mario 64 incident? What can I expect from the Super Mario 64? Like, this is the episode of Games Master. And as we kind of already discussed on uh, Under Console Nation for August, if you're one of our Patreon backers, you'll already be aware of this. 
we're not going to do it straight away. Essentially, there have been a number of delays to the game's master book. None of them the fault of the publisher. Hey, guess what? There's a pandemic and global economic uncertainty and shipping issues and logistical issues. And it is now so close to being with us. And the fact it's so close to being with us presents an issue. Because if this book, with its contributions from Dominic Diamond, from Dave Perry, from a lot of the other people involved in the production, if this book did not exist, we would be going balls out on next week's episode. We would be going kind of full JFK conspiracy theory. I think at one point we even talked about doing a live episode that would have been kind of almost like a court case or something. Kind of like there was the idea of doing like the law and order dung dung noise. Yeah, we did talk about this as our second live show. We'd like watch the episode and then rather than do a beat by beat review, we would just talk about the Dave Perry incidents. And, the, and you know, because there's been a lot of interviews like publicly before the book from Dominic talking about it, from Dave talking about it, from a few other people talking about it but i think what we really want is that condensed version of events so it's not dave perry on the games animal channel talking about it it's not dominic diamonds telling this story across five different podcasts this is what we imagine to be the telling of the events now we're going to be careful because obviously this book is a current publication and is something they want to sell and we want it to be a success particularly as it's gone to mass market production so the book is in the country or just hovering in a port outside of the country. It will get to the distributors and then those books will be on their way to us. And as soon as we have that book, I think I'm going to break one of my initial rules I set for myself, which is I'm going to skip straight to that chapter. And it's not because I'm impatient. It's because I don't want this hanging over our head any longer than it has to be. However, until we reach that point we are going to have a few interstitial episodes, a few things that will help just kind of give us a little bit of time and give shipping and logistics a little bit of time to get that book into our hands. It's not going to be a massive special episode when we get to episode nine. It will be a standard under consultation episode retrospective, but it will also be accurate. The episode itself, there isn't a huge amount to talk about because it's just a quiz. It is kind of really about that final challenge. But for the sake of completion, I think we do need to cover the, the episode as is. Because of that, it's not going to be next week's episode. It'll be in a couple of episodes time. We think it should just, it should only just be like one or two episodes. We have got some fun things to go in between, though, that are going to be based on the, the magazine from this period of time. But it should just be one or two episodes before we do get to episode nine. Obviously. In the timeline, Luke, it's Christmas. We always have fun at Christmas on this show. We do have a lot of bonus crap around uh, around this time, so yeah, it should be fine. But until then, we will see you in seven days' time. Just not for that episode. We'll see you for a different episode. Take care, everyone. Good night.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.